Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal, to simplify big ideas for a greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, hey everyone, and welcome to episode number nine of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer, and I am your host, and I hope that our conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact with your life. We have one of the most critical and pressing conversations of our time in this podcast. Today we are unpacking the topic of loneliness and depression. One of the things that many experts noted is that pre-COVID, things like loneliness and depression and suicide were at a scary high number. But what happens when you are stuck at home for several months and it's just you? Well, like most people, you kind of get stuck in your head. And if you weren't already wrestling with things like depression and loneliness, then social isolation kind of kicks open that door for you. And if that didn't do the trick, then how about killer bees or rioting or you get my point. I mean, there's a lot going on in our world. But what is not getting very much attention is how to help those who are wrestling with depression. And so that is our conversation today. That's what we're talking about. And my guest today is Dr. Gary Zustiak, or as those who know him often call him, Zeus. Gary is the head of the counseling program at Ozark Christian College. He has published several books on youth ministry and counseling. He has trained countless students in the field of of counseling and psychology. And he has been the go-to person for all kinds of counseling topics, help, and insight. Gary has a lot of really practical insight for seeing depression before it gets the best of you, what you can do as a parent, a friend, and a family member to help somebody else out. But before we dive into my interview, do me a favor real quick. After you listen to this episode, can you do two things for me? Could you call, text, or Zoom the person who came to your mind during this conversation and encourage them? Uh, Second, could you help us get the word out that there is hope for those who are struggling, those who are wrestling? People today, more than ever, need to know that there is hope even for them. And so that's my request that you contact that person, encourage them, and then you share this episode. So now let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with Dr. Zeus. Well, I am honored to have Dr. Gary Zustiak uh, with us on our podcast. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. Good to be here, Skyler. Well, Gary, as we kind of talked beforehand, I first met you in Milligan, Tennessee, as I was an intern with CIY, uh, doing no sweat kind of service projects. And uh, we had a great time. I first remember you talking about apocalyptic literature and uh, opening my eyes to the deliciousness of McDonald's breakfast burritos. So a staple. Everyone's got to eat a McDonald's burrito and a Diet Coke for breakfast. <laughs> breakfast <laughs> champions, Skyler. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, Gary, um, for those of you, uh, those in our audience who don't know who you are, can you just share a little bit of an introduction about yourself? You know, who who are you? What do you do? And What led you specifically into counseling? Sure, I'd be glad to do that. Well, actually, I grew up in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Uh, That's a small town right below uh, Eugene, Oregon, where the University of uh, Oregon is located. And uh, I married my high school sweetheart. 
this year, November, we will have been married 50 years. Oh, so that's, awesome. that's quite the accomplishment. Uh, we have three sons, Joshua, Aaron, Caleb. You might figure out where we got those names. And, and we have uh, eight grandchildren, five boys and three girls. And um, I, uh, I resisted going into ministry at first. Uh, when I graduated high school, my youth minister really wanted me to go to Bible college and to go into ministry. And I said, no, all I want to do is get married, work at Safeway and have kids. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I did for two years. But the Lord kept working on my heart. So finally, I, you know, you don't wrestle with God and win. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob learned that. I should have learned that from his example. So anyway, I ended up uh, going to Boise Bible College uh, over in Boise, Idaho, and um, got my first youth ministry in Emmett, Idaho. I was there for a little over uh, four years. It was a wonderful, wonderful ministry, youth ministry there in, in Emmett. Um, I felt confident in my ability to preach, to teach, to plan youth events, do evangelism, but Skylar, I felt woefully inadequate to do counseling mm. with the serious issues that, that I was confronted with. I mean, here's this 23-year-old kid, fresh out of Bible college, still in Bible college, and I've got kids that are contemplating suicide, mm. drug and alcohol abuse, uh, rape, incest, homosexuality you name it, I was faced with it. So I didn't feel like I was adequately prepared to counsel students in those situations. So I wanted to be able to give them professional level counseling from a Christian perspective. And back in the 1970s, there just weren't any licensed professional Christian counselors. Mm. So uh, I decided to go to grad school. So I Packed up the family. We moved to Lincoln, Illinois, and I attended Lincoln Christian Seminary for five years. And uh, I did an MA in uh, pastoral care and counseling. Uh, I did my clinical work at the medium security prison uh, there uh, outside of uh, Lincoln at Logan Correctional uh, Facility. Uh, and then I stayed on and I did my Master of Divinity in Christian Ministries with a uh, concentration again in pastoral care and counseling. Um, so after graduating, uh, I uh, uh, and while I was at grad school, I preached in a small church for five years, uh, and that was a wonderful experience. And then I uh, went to Sandpoint, Idaho, uh, way up north, uh, up by the Canadian border, and I worked with Chuck Wigton. It was a wonderful ministry, great time for our family. And uh, I was there four years, and then I was called to Ozark Christian College to be the professor of youth ministry and psychology. And while I was here at Ozark in those years, uh, I did a doctor of ministry degree in marriage and family therapy from Abilene Christian University. Oh. And then after 13 years of teaching here as the youth ministry professor, I went to Christ in Youth. And I worked at Christ in Youth for seven years as the uh, director of youth ministry 
uh, and resources. And so mainly I was in charge of the National Youth Leaders Convention and the International School of Youth Ministry. And then after seven years with CIY, uh, Mark Scott, who was the academic dean at the time, uh, enticed me back to Ozark and he wanted me to develop a psychology and counseling program from the ground up. And so that's what I do. I am currently the director of counseling and pastoral care for Ozark Christian College. Wow, that's awesome. Between Stephanie and I, uh, we've both kind of um, been, you know, whether I'm, you know, bombarding your office in the library or Stephanie taking classes and uh, we have been greatly, we have greatly benefited from your teaching and uh, just the investment that you made at um, Ozark with counseling. So uh, first and foremost, uh, Gary, thank you so much for what you've done at Ozark. And You're welcome. Is, I'm glad to do it. Well, Gary, um, you know, you, you talked about um, some kind of mental health concerns. Like when you got into youth ministry, um, you noticed mm -hmm. that you know, kids came from all kinds of really broken homes and you felt uh, a little inadequate to be able to um, be able to counsel those students through that. And so you kind of, that launched you into, I guess, a career of counseling or a focus on counseling. One of the things that, you know, ha that many experts have kind of noticed is with this pandemic season uh, that, that many people have kind of been in with social isolation, social distancing, um, was that it was going to have some, some pretty big ramifications on people's mental health from your experience what are those health ramifications well uh scott i think there's a number of things three that i would just start with um the first is the isolation you know when all the states went to quarantine we are human beings are uh created for community and so we need community in order to maintain our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. I mean, go back to Genesis chapter 2. You know, God looked down upon uh, man and, you know, in his loneliness, he created woman for him because there was no one for him. And so right from the very beginning, human beings, we need community. We need contact. We need interaction. And when we don't get that, um, I think that there's a rise in anxiety and depression. So the isolation is a mental health issue. The second issue is fear. Uh, many people, especially those with compromised uh, immunity systems or other pre-existing conditions, uh, were very fearful about going out even to get you know, basic necessities and being exposed to it. And so not only were they isolated, but they were isolated living in fear. And then the third thing is depression. So you have isolation, fear, and depression. And the depression, that can come from a lack of social interaction, or there were, you know, there's thousands, millions of people who have lost their jobs, they've lost their businesses, they've lost their economic security. And even something as simple as losing your daily routine can uh, throw someone off. It's, it's a major loss for them. And so that can lead to depression. Gary, I mean, just looking at, 
you, know, you just walk into the store. I mean, it's clear. There's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of people who are just frustrated, you know, but there's a, there's a lot of people who genuinely have a, an unbelievable high amount of anxiety, <laughs> fear. Um, and I mean, even, mm-hmm. um, whether it's yeah. like, like a lower grade depression, I mean, you just, you could just feel that and see that, uh, with people. Um, I guess it was this kind of two of, two of those, those categories, you know, isolation or loneliness and depression. Um, can you help us understand what is that? What is loneliness? What is depression? What is it not? Mm-hmm. Well, loneliness is sadness because you have no friends or company and you want it, you desire it. Uh, and I think it's important, Skylar, to differentiate between loneliness and solitude. Mm. Loneliness is the state of feeling empty, feeling alone, unwanted, and being sad about that situation. And that can be caused from a lack of confidence, low self-esteem, feeling like you know, you're just not worthy maybe of people's um, attention or uh, devotion to you. But solitude, on the other hand, um, it's a state of being alone, but it's a purposeful isolation. It's a retreat from the fast pace that we find ourselves under and all the demands of the world to sit in quietness, to reflect, and to recharge. Solitude isn't so much about avoiding other people as it is purposely just being with yourself to reset. Uh, It's a centering practice to clear your mind of all the stress and clutter and also to be able to hear the still small voice of God as he's trying to to lead you. So there's that that real difference between loneliness and solitude. Uh, And a lot of it is just has to do with purpose and state of mind. Uh, And then depression. Well, depression is quite common. I mean, in the psychological field, depression is often referred to as the common cold of psychological disorder Mm. uh, orders because so many people find themselves depressed. It really is quite complicated. Um, It's a combination of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual deprivation. Uh, it can be caused by any combination of a number of things. Sometimes it has a physical causation. Uh, you know, it's it's hormonal or it's a lack of production of neurotransmitters like serotonin uh, in the brain. Uh, it can be mental or a cognitive dysfunction as in uh, irrational beliefs or cognitive distortions. Uh, any major loss. Uh, can trigger a depression, loss of a job, loss of a spouse, uh, you know, any major loss of routine, any major loss. Uh, Just feeling like life has no ultimate meaning or purpose can set off a depressive episode. Man, that's like with this season, like that's like the perfect storm, you know, like, um, Mm there's all, I don't know, there's all kinds of ramifications there with, with the season. And I mean, if somebody was already feeling lonely and depressed, I mean, 
um, this could just have some 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 big uh, consequences uh, or impact in them. And you know, I guess pre-pandemic loneliness and depression were things that were alarmingly high. I mean, I I hadn't heard it referred to as depression being you know like the common cold in the psychology field, but um, you know, you just look at the stats. It's 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 crazy how high that is, and I mean, especially with with youth. Um, I guess if you look at the latest stats, Gary, what is um, if we if we look at that, what is the stats of loneliness and depression tell us where we're heading as Americans? Um, I'm going to refer you to Dr. Jean Twenge uh, for my answers here. Um, she's written a number of books. Um, the one that her latest book is entitled iGen. Uh, one previous to that was Generation Me, uh, mm. but uh, Dr. Jean Twenge is the foremost authority on generational studies. And she has a team that do, I mean, super broad research, you know, not just a thousand or 2000 sampling. She'll do 400,000, you know, students, adolescents. And so her results are really legit. And so let me share with you some of her findings. Her research is found in the 80s, the 1980s. At any given point, about one in 10 college students could be characterized as needing or wanting or using some form of mental health treatment. Today, that number is one in three, all right, with the trends rising. Uh, several prominent authors have written on that. Besides uh, uh, Dr. Jean Twenge, there are uh, others who have uh, written about it. Um, Twenge and her colleagues have analyzed the data for the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. That's a government survey that tracks mental health and substance use in individuals uh, 12 and older in the U.S., so they looked at survey responses from more than 200,000 adolescents, ages 12 to 17, and almost 400,000 young adults, ages 18 and older, uh, between the years of 2005 and 2017. And what they found was the rate of individuals reporting symptoms that would be consistent with major depression just over the past year, increased 52% in teens, 63% in young adults over the last decade, over the last 10 years. Wow. Girls tend to be more vulnerable than boys. By 2017, one out of every five teenage girls had experienced major depression within the past year. Hmm. So rates of psychological distress that Twingy describes as feeling nervous, hopeless, or that everything in life is an effort rose by 71% among people ages 18 to 25. So what that means is suicidal thoughts, plans, and attempts also increased. Death from suicide increased by 56% among 18 to 19-year-olds between the years of 2008, 2017. So depression is nothing to blow off. This is nothing just to say, oh, they'll get over it. Um, Because many, many times people who 
struggle with a clinical depression also develop suicidal ideation. And we, we just can't lose our young people. Gary, that is heartbreaking. What, yeah. um, what do you, what's causing that? I mean, is there, is there uh, a number of things I'm trying to, I'm trying to wrap my, my mind around that. I mean, that's just, that's some alarming percentages. Well, actually Twingy believes she has pinpointed it and it, it goes to, to uh, the year that the iPhone came out, believe it or not. And she has pinpointed electronic use uh, and um, social media as the starting point for the rise in depression, anxiety in youth. Mm-hmm. And she has done surveys. And if, a, if an adolescent young person uses social media or any type of electronics two hours or less daily, they're just fine. But as soon as you spend two hours or more daily on an electronic device, I'm talking an iPhone, an iPad, you know, a a laptop computer, a Chromebook, any of those kinds of things. As soon as you're on that more than two hours a day, the rates of depression and anxiety begin to skyrocket. She's got charts all documented in her book, iGen, uh, that will show that. And in fact, another book, um, The Coddling of the American Mind, quotes Twenge and those same statistics, talking, showing that the overuse of technology is what's contributing to the depression. And it's a whole complicated thing. I mean, I just I did a two-hour seminar about a month ago just on the dangers of uh, technology. Now, I'm not against technology, but I'm against the overuse of technology because of the, uh, the creating of anxiety and depression from social media comparisons and the fear of being left out and, and the lack of sleep and a whole host of other things. That's a whole nother, whole nother podcast. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't even, um, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's so much there and, and there's so many questions that Gary, that just kind of rise, rise to my head as, you know, like, I mean, specifically like, what is it about technology? Is it that further, I guess, isolation, um, the, uh, just kind of more, I mean, you see more, uh, people who have these kind of idealistic lives and it makes you, you know, like, um, is it, uh, what, what is it? I, I mean, kind of, yeah, off well, it's a combination. It? Yeah, it's a combination. It's all that. One of it is it's for one, one thing, it affects teenage, uh, girls more than it does guys. And here's, here's the reason. If a girl is going to post a selfie on Facebook, let's say, she doesn't just take a picture and post it on selfie. She takes 20 pictures, all right, and she's got her head tilted a different way and, and different smile and all that. She's got to take 20 of them, and then she chooses the very best one, but she still doesn't post it because she's got to run it through a filter first. And so you run it through a filter, and you make yourself look better than what you really are. Then you post it. Well, then that girl's friends see that picture, and then they feel inferior because they don't look that good. 
Mm. Well, when in reality, that girl doesn't look that good. It's a phony picture. And there's a huge rise right now, believe it or not, what 16 to 18-year-old girls are asking for, you know, major holidays for presents is they want to have they want to have plastic surgery to make them look like their filtered selves on social media. Wow. So think, think of how depressing that is. I don't want to be myself. I want to be my fake self. Mm. And so that's one of them. Uh, the other thing is the isolation. Um, you know, it used to be, oh, 20, 30 years ago, all the junior high mall rats would be down at the mall, you know, and all these kids just, you know, all gathered together. That doesn't happen anymore because kids go home, just go right to their bedroom and get on social media. Mm. And so they connect in isolation. But social media friends, it's proven psychologically, do not provide the same emotional uplift that friends in real life, in real presence do. Mm. Uh, the other problem is students are sleeping with their cell phones under their pillow. And every time there's a ding, they wake up mm. to see if they got another like, or if somebody else posted, you know, it was a party or some event, then they're worried because they have FOMO, you know, this fear of being left out, mm. uh, fear of missing out. Um, and so you have this social comparison, uh, these unrealistic expectations, unrealistic comparisons, this fear of being left out, and they're not getting eight hours of sleep because they wake up every time there's one of those dings. And if you don't, anytime your sleep cycle's interrupted, uh, that leads to depression. So there's a whole host of things. And the other side of it is if you're spending all your time on electronics, you're not outside exercising, you're not actual really social interacting, you're not reading books, you're not involved in sports, you're not doing any of the other things that have been proven to actually increase one's uh, attitude and to help to cure depression. Wow. So what, what's, what's the Bible's answer? You know, like, does the Bible speak to this, this issue, not necessarily technology, but the issue of loneliness and depression? Yeah, Bible has a lot to say about these issues. Uh, Psalm 42.5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Uh, I think the Psalms really address a gamut of emotions that people have, and, and especially sadness, especially depression. And I think that's really important because sometimes as Christians, the church has communicated this idea that we're to be happy, happy all the time, and that we should never confess to struggles or times of sadness. But David wasn't ashamed to do that. David felt like it was fine to be honest with God uh, about his sadness and his, his struggles. Um, Elijah is a great case study in depression. 
you go to First Kings chapters 18 and 19 with uh, the battle, you know, on top of Mount Carmel. Uh, you know, it's gunfight at the OK Corral with the 450 prophets of Baal. But after that takes place, look at all the signs and the causes of depression that were present in Elijah's life. So first of all, there's this big letdown after a big event. You know, here he's one guy against 450 and he wins, you know, and, but, you know, you can't maintain <laughs> that level of excitement. You know, there's always a crash. It's like, you know, the week after CIY, the week after camp, there's always a crash. Uh, he had unrealistic or unfulfilled expectations. He thought this victory was going to bring about revival and repentance, but instead he gets met with resistance and hostility. He runs into the desert. He withdrew from support groups. He isolated himself. Uh, he had feelings of suicide and hopelessness. He says, I just want to die. I'm no better than any who have gone before me. And he has physical exhaustion and fatigue. Sometimes people are depressed just because they're not getting enough sleep and they're not eating well. You know, they, they need to eat better. Um, and then there's feelings of not being appreciated or supported. Um, he also exacerbated the problem. He made it bigger than what it was. You know, uh, you know, Elijah says to God, they are against me. Well, it was just one Jezebel, but <laughs> you know, he makes it feel like the whole nation was against him. And he has pessimism, you know, I'm the only one and his self-deprecation. I'm no better than all gone before me. And this, the whole preoccupation with, with himself. And so Elijah is just a great case study in all the things that contribute towards depression. Man, that's good. Yeah. I, I didn't see uh, all of those all of those things. And I, I'm very familiar with that story, but I didn't see all of it like that. You know, when you put it kind of in that counseling psychology yeah. um, perspective. So perspective, lining up. Yeah. Is there, I guess, a hope, you know, like, is there an answer in scripture? Like, how do you, how do you, I guess, combat it, deal with it? Is there, is there good, I guess, advice, wisdom? I know, you know, like with the Psalms, there's a lot of, um, you know, like David led the nation you know, nations, hey, guys, it's okay to express your sadness. In fact, here's a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I think is it's simply a matter of knowing yourself and monitoring your emotional pulse. It's knowing who you are and, and what's going on in your life right now. So, you know, there's a number of questions you could ask yourself. Uh, how often do you feel hopeless? How often do you feel you've lost interest in the things that used to bring you joy and excitement and purpose? Uh, do you feel helpless? Do you feel down? Uh, do you feel trapped with no options? Uh, do you feel like you've lost control of your life? Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel generally pessimistic about life? And the more of those that you answer, then that's an indication to you that uh, yeah, I, I'm probably trending towards uh, some depression and, and I need to do some things, you know. Mm. So, you know, what can you do? 
if you feel like you are slipping into a depression? Well, first thing, most important thing is to ask for help. You know, don't be too proud to humble yourself and to ask someone for help. Uh, never isolate yourself or deny that you have the problem or think that it's just going to go away on its own because it won't. If you're into clinical depression, it, it won't go away. So what are some practical steps maybe you could take to manage the symptoms of depression? Um, Dr. Henry Cloud's one of my favorite authors. Uh, he's, the, he's the guy that, uh, uh, that wrote the book Boundaries, if you're you know, familiar with that. And uh, Dr. Cloud has these simple suggestions that he gives um, of what people can do during a time of crisis to kind of reset your mental health, reset your mental and emotional health. And the first thing is be intentional about rebuilding connections. You know, the whole COVID-19 thing, the quarantine, and not being able to even gather for church as a community. Everything's just been, you know, recorded and online and been under quarantine. So as soon as you're allowed, your area allows, be intentional about rebuilding connections. Um, and maybe even stretch yourself. Do some things you've never done before. Be the first person to go introduce yourself to somebody else. Um, you know, do, do things like that. Uh, next thing he suggests is, and this is, this is really important. This is one that I'm big on. Have a normal routine. Get up, go to bed at similar times during every day. Organize your day. Keep your personal hygiene. Make sure you shower and shave. You know, uh, eat healthy meals at regular times. Exercise regularly. Okay, regularly means a minimum of three times a week, getting your cardio up to at least, you know, uh, for 30 minutes, sustained for 30 minutes. Um, give time for working and time for resting. Uh, make time to do things you enjoy. If you've got a hobby, Make sure you have time to go referee soccer or go watch the birds or play tennis or play guitar. You know, do those things. Uh, the more you structure your day, the more your brain will actually calm down because mm. it knows what to anticipate. It knows what's going to happen. Um, make a list of things you can control and then surrender what you can't control. You know. Quit, quiet, quit, quiet, <laughs> quit trying to control the things that you can't control. Uh, you know, write down the things you actually have choices that you can do. And I think this one's important. Minimize your news feeds. Yeah. Try to reduce how much you watch, read, or listen to the news. Because the news is always and only going to sensualize everything and to make it worse than what it is to try and get your attention. So, you know, seek the latest information at specific times a day, once or twice a day if needed, but no more than that. You know, turn off the TV, get off of Facebook, uh, quit Googling, you know, the latest COVID-19 statistics, because the more time you spend on that, the more your brain just focuses on that. 
practice mindfulness. Um, you know, Paul wrote in Colossians about taking every thought captive. You know, take every thought captive for Christ. Um, don't give in to thoughts of panic. Process your thoughts. Increase all the spiritual practices that you do. Um, reach out to loved ones in your life you can talk to. And don't ever hesitate to seek professional help. Hmm. Um, God never intended for us to face our problems alone. So look for a professional Christian counselor. Make an appointment and talk with them. Gary, that is, that is so practical. Uh, and I really appreciate that you you mentioned all of those things. I mean, even things as simple as structure your day. I I haven't thought about that. I I have a I have an okay routine that I have, but I never thought about that bringing ease to my own um, mind and peace throughout my day. But that's so true. You know, anytime I walk into a situation and I have no idea what to expect, I have the highest amount of anxiety. That is. Uh, just uh-huh. out of the roof, you know, and that keeps me up at night and just anticipating things that I don't know. And just, you know, just submitting, you know, the things I don't control to God surrendering that and, you know, uh, seeing what I do have control over. That's, that's really good. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that is for somebody. If, if somebody has a friend or a family member that is battling depression, is there, you know, like one or two things that they can do to uh, help them out? Like is, is, Yeah. Yeah, if you feel like someone that you care about, someone's close to you, family member, coworker, is struggling with depression, the first thing is simply to reach out to them. You know, let them know what you're observing. You know, and this, you know, you don't have to go, hey, you got a clinical depression, so you need to, you know, unless you're a licensed therapist, you can't make that kind of a a call. But what you can say is, you know, you don't seem to be yourself lately. And man, we're good friends. I care about you. And uh, I, I just want you to know I'm here. And if you want to talk, you know, we could do that. And saying something is better than saying nothing at all. All right, always. Um, treat people how they want to be treated. Every person's unique. So respect their wishes in terms of how they want to be treated. Um, if they do talk, listen non-judgmentally. Uh, don't take things personally. Don't feel the need to stand up for God or anybody else or defend them if they're, you know, maybe talking in a negative way or feeling uh, angry at God. Just listen non-judgmentally. Uh, give them support and reassurance. Uh, reassurance sometimes simply is that, you know, when you feel like this, it's called clinical depression. And sometimes just knowing, just having a name actually reduces someone's anxiety and that other people have been there and that there are recognizable cures. You know, that's helpful. Uh, encourage professional help if needed. And then also encourage self-help. And by self-help, I'm, I mean organizations like Celebrate Recovery, which is a wonderful Christian uh, self-help organization. Of course, AA and have been around for a long time, any of those. Gary, I really appreciate you uh, taking time to have a conversation with us about loneliness and depression. I've 
you know, you, you, you can see it on social media, you can see it on news, you know, all, all over the place. Before the pandemic, it was high. And during the pandemic, um, it was, you know, it increased uh, even more. And so um, you have some uh, great words of wisdom. And, uh, you know, anybody who is wrestling with loneliness and depression, I, you know, I want to encourage you just to connect with somebody, reach out, take that bold step of faith, and just kind of be honest and and open about that. And if, I mean, if it's getting really, um, really bad, reach out to a, a professional counselor. So um, Gary, I want to say thank you so much uh, for taking time to talk with us. You're welcome. Glad to do it, Skyler. Good to connect with you again. So off the interview, I told Gary that after our conversation that there was a lot of things that I needed to change in my life. For one thing, I'm, I'm probably on electronics far too much, but I want to echo what Gary said. Look, Depression is not one of those things that you can just slap a little bit of joy on and to, to somebody, encourage them and expect things to change kind of overnight. No, if you or somebody you know is battling with depression, please reach out and seek some professional help. And a good place to start is just to call a local church and see if they have any recommendations for some good counselors who deal um, with depression and loneliness or even suicide. Look, please do not brush this under the rug any longer. Do me a favor and call or text that person who popped into your mind during this interview. You probably shouldn't start the conversation off with like a, hey, you need help, you're depressed, right? But you probably could just let them know that you know, you're thinking about them and, and that if they need anything, that you're here for them. Next week, I am interviewing my good old friend, Nolan Jaden. Nolan was someone who was a pivotal person in my life to coming to faith in Jesus. He's on staff as a youth pastor at Rise City Church in Gresham, Oregon, and is such and it's such a cool story what, what God's doing there. I mean, they have been rapidly growing among a demographic who notoriously is absent from most churches. And so we talk about their story and what God has been doing there, and if you want want some encouragement, if you want some hope that our younger generation is not lost, but is being reached for Jesus, then this is an interview that you are going to want to listen to. Well, I hope this conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact with your life. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week as we talk about what God is doing in the secular Northwest. <music>